0: Um, So now we're going to be reading the Bible. So we've got two passages in Exodus today. Um, The first one is Exodus chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. So Exodus chapter 21. These are the laws you are to be set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master, and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, and do not want want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost, and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants too. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food. Clothing and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free, without any payment of money. And now, Exodus chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, ye and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord, the others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they burnt off, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, "We will do everything the Lord has said. we will obey." Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank.
1: We're entering a strange part of the book of Exodus. The wonderful part of Exodus 21 to 24 is that we do get to come face to face with life that's very different to those in Adelaide. The challenging part of Exodus 21 to 24 is that we come face to face with life that is very different to us in Adelaide. And in in a time and place like ours... Where everyone likes to talk about equality, fairness and kindness and human rights, nothing so much jars us as to hear a different view, a different opinion that someone has on a range of topics, especially online or in the media. And it can feel like we're entering this really confronting conversation when we read Exodus 21 to 24. Many of the commands, many of the instructions in these four chapters would actually be possible for us to obey today. We're not an agrarian society. We don't have bulls running around. You haven't stolen my bull recently, and I don't have to get retribution for that. Many of them are shocking to our ears. One of them says in chapter 23, do not allow a sorceress to live. What do we make of that? Or strange, if you're a banker here, you wouldn't like this too much. It says, if you lend money to one of my people who is needy, don't treat it like a business deal Charge no interest. Hmm. Or some of them we really like. Things like, don't follow the crowd and doing wrong. So how do we figure out what to obey, what's good, what's maybe not as helpful? What do we do? Well, today, let's have a conversation with a very strange part of God's Word. That sounds strange, because I hope today, at the very end, as we wade through this, you will say with me, as God's people did twice, we'll do everything the Lord has said. And it's good news to say that. You see, because here and now with these words, God is calibrating his people to his way, to be a holy community, to show them sin has no place among them. Because after all, trusting God, it seeps into every part of our lives. It affects how we think and laugh and love and dream and talk. It affects how we spend our time and money, treasures, talents, where our heart lies has implications on everything we do, even our obedience. And so to get through today well, to do it just as to what God is saying, we need to look at covenants. We need to talk about covenants. So remember, we've been tracking through all of Exodus, and God's people have, in chapter 19, just been called to be a holy nation, God's treasured possession and a kingdom of priests. And what this looks like isn't just agreeing to be his people. Yeah, I'll follow God. It's actually living as his people too. And this is where the rules and the stipulations of the covenant come into play. That is, life in their community is governed by God making an agreement with them called a covenant. And that means what we have is not firstly law, but instruction on how to live in a relationship with God that he's making with his people. To say it another way, God's laws always fit inside a covenant. God's laws always sit inside of a covenant agreement that people have agreed to. So, if you've got the outline, I want to look briefly at five ways that covenant helps us understand what's going on here in the life of God's people, why it's good news for them, for the rest of the world, and also for us today. And my big takeaway, as I said, that we would say together today is that upon hearing this, we would say, everything the Lord has said, I will do. The question to think through as we walk out of here for Monday morning into our week is, am, am I living in such a way? Are you living in such a way that those around you can tell you trust and treasure your God? If you say, I wonder, everything the Lord has said, well, is that how you live your life during the week? So, five ways to see. First thing, let's... Um, Look at the first point. The covenant is actually about uniting law and life together. What makes these laws so different to, say, constitutional law of Australia? I googled it, constitutional law of Australia. It's not very exciting to read, but I had a look. And what makes it so different to what we read here is that constitutional law appeals to the Commonwealth and the Queen, but here there's a strong appeal to God's character and the dignity of people in the community. So, for example, in 2113... God speaks it speaks of God's sovereignty as a possibility as for why someone might be killed in a fight. In twenty-two eleven, you take an oath before God to settle a matter of who's taken someone's property. In twenty-two, twenty-two, and twenty-three, should someone someone take advantage of an orphan or a widow, it says explicitly God is aroused to anger by that. In twenty-three verse nine, God reminds them of their own time as a slave and says don't mistreat foreigners because you know just what it was like to be oppressed as a foreigner, don't you? A chilling reminder of how horrible that was just a few months ago in Egypt for them. Which means a covenant is different than a contract. You see, in a contract you define it in terms like this is mine, this is yours. Whereas a covenant is about exchanging a life for a life. I am yours and you are mine. Which is why it's agreed to with blood. And that's what's happening here is God's treasured possession. It involves their whole life, belonging to behaving as his people. And we see this really clearly in the first 11 verses of chapter 21. And this sounds so strange, which is why we had them read out to us today. It begins in verse uh, 2, actually. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he's to serve you for six years, but in the seventh he'll go free without paying anything. Remember, they were slaves for 450 years. They would know the horror of forced labor. Brick-building slaves. So is God interested in making them just like Pharaoh was in their own nation? Should they treat others like Pharaoh did? Well, the good news is their community is to be nothing like Egypt. Being a servant in the culture had strong economic roots. There was no modern bankruptcy laws here. A person might become a servant to deal with outstanding debts. But it wasn't forever. Six years was the limit, you see. Unless you wanted to stay, which you could. Live in the new family with your boss and your new family too. But it's so inclusive because God speaks of women in this as well. And he, he's upholding the dignity and the rights if they find themselves in the same situation. Look at verses 7 to 11. These laws are about safeguarding her rights, protecting her from sexual exploitation. Not only that, remember, there's no new university. There's no services, essay you can go to to appeal for something. There's no government handouts. If you live, you need food. To grow food, you need land. But the land belongs to people whom the country belongs to. And the land's kept in the families. So if you can find a way to secure life only if you belong to a family. And so you might go and live with the other family. And moreover, if the woman's rights were violated, she could go free. She doesn't have to stay in the oppressive relationship, and that is good news. Dignity and equality of women, it's rooted in Scripture, you see. What's more, the Bible goes on to extend that far more than what our society does. To in many ways, God's intent gathered up the rights, gathers up the rights of the unborn, or the black lives, or indigenous people, or foreigners, and the communities to be fair and just. Look to towards the end of chapter twenty-one. You may know this, or your parents, if you are from a few generations ago, may have quoted it to you. If there's serious injury, take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Sounds very extreme, doesn't it? But you see, what this does is to make sure that the punishment fits the crime. No vigilante justice here. Because what often happens, and you probably feel it, is that if something happens... You want more justice than what probably is fitting. A few months ago, I foolishly lost out on a deal on eBay for a new computer. Never arrived. And in a strange turn of events, they caught the person because they did it to a number of other people too. It was incredible. They caught someone on eBay who did the wrong thing. And I have a letter sitting on my desk at home from the Victorian police saying, what would you like to have happen? They're going to court and you're a victim, so there's three options. You know, and part of me, part of me says oh they should pay you know like they messed up my time and I've lost money and I haven't got it so I think the crime should be this extreme because I want that justice and I feel that and so you see it on the news too when someone comes out of court oh the punishment was not severe enough and I'm not going to go into any examples of that but the concept is we often want more than what is needed and so life and law they go together and God's law is to protect unjust action in their community the covenant's about this. So, the next thing to note. It unites law and life together. But this covenant has a divine origin. Exodus twenty-one-one says this, explicitly. Covenants, agreements like this were very common in God's people's day, in Israel's day. One nation conquers another and they impose on the weaker one a new set of laws, a new way of life, new customs. But God's covenant isn't about military conquests or economic prosperity. He's in a covenant that wants to reveal the next part of his redemption to the world through God's people, Israel. The covenant, you see, is all about shaping his people around his wisdom as they live in community. I quite enjoy listening to Peter Gowers on ABC in the evening, if I'm ever driving, and that shows how old I am. Oh, I feel older. But one thing he said was to a guest a few weeks back was, was religion has no place in society. It has to be private, else it's nothing. And it was interesting, what do you say to that? Religion's only to be private, not in the public life. But you see, that's actually impossible. Because religion can't remain isolated, because God's a holistic God, concerned with all spheres of your life, how you view others, what motivates you to action and justice, how you spend your time and money. God's covenant, we could say, informs all of that, you see, Which means it can never just be in your living room, because if you truly have been transformed by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, then that will affect everything you do, always. It's a covenant divinely given on display for all to see, which is the next, comes into the third point. This covenant's for cosmetic appeal. And that sounds really strange, because cosmetics... Uh, today, has external superficial meaning. But actually, the word cosmetic is a Greek word which just means to put in order so it's neat and well-organized. Neat and well-organized. Make beautiful and attractive. And the demands God's giving to his people here are, not to, order their, oh, sorry, are to order their lives in a community so that they do not tolerate sin, so that they are his holy people, so that they appear beautiful and attractive to those looking in. This means God's people live in such a way they become attractors to God, to the God they worship. They have a gravitational pull at the center of their community so that others are drawn in to the blessing of belonging to Yahweh God too. In fact, Nehemiah, when he rebuilds the temple on the walls, many years later, reflects on this very moment in chapter 9 and he says, Lord, you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulation and laws that are just and right. Here's the thing, he says decrees that are good. Decrees that are good. Notice that Nehemiah says this is good. As in living out this covenant with God is actually what a good flourishing life is to look like. You see, God's way of life is about the whole person living in harmony with him, with creation, with themselves, and with one another. Something our culture today so desperately wants, isn't it? Harmony with every part of our lives. Maybe not the God part, but harmony with everything. And that's what God offers to his people. You see, while the years have passed, while the culture has changed, the covenant has been superseded by another, even in Jesus Christ. The intention has not changed. God wants to be known. He makes himself known through his people, who they are, what they say, how they act, and what they do. And today, you are the cosmetic appeal of Jesus Christ to the community. So others can see the new covenant in Jesus Christ. So there's more to covenant than law and obedience. It's as much about revealing God to others as well and it's about being guided by this God too. We saw this at the end of Exodus 23, if you read on. An angel appears again. And in Exodus, you bump into this angel every few chapters, it seems. We first saw the angel at the burning bush as their redemption and rescue began. Then, when they got to the Red Sea, the angel protected them, went behind them in the cloud, part of the waters, to lead them into their new life. And now as they stand on the edge of the mountain, the angel appears again. And they've heard God's covenant. And now God says, follow this messenger of mine. Follow this person. Obey him. Listen to him. He will lead you. The angel carries with it God's authority and commands. They're to listen to his voice. And in fact, the fruitful life depends on hearing and obeying him. You see, God has not only done everything to rescue them, but he wants to lead them in this new life as well. To say it another way, God is in the business of equipping his people for all they need in a relationship with him. Even, they still, even though they have to respond with faith and obedience, God's presence and grace never nullifies my own obedience, you see. Just empowers it, informs it. And there's one more thing to look at. Covenant has a joyful celebrating part two. In chapter 23, verses 14 to 16, three times... They're to have a festival every year to celebrate God's goodness to them. Once they're to remember how they got out of Egypt. Once they thank God and celebrate as they plant their crops. And the the third one is when they harvest their crops. They celebrate God. They're staggered. So their whole calendar revolves around celebration, around remembering who God is. And then chapter 24 ends with the people saying, we'll do everything God said. And then something happens that we've been waiting for since Exodus 3. Moses builds a pile of dirt, and he sacrifices an animal to God on it. And it's a, such a fitting end, isn't it, to everything God has said and done so far in Exodus. Brings his people into his presence, that they might hear his voice, they might worship him, and that's what's happening. But when they agree to this, it gets gross. As Charlotte said this at the dinner t- breakfast table this week when I read it out. She goes, that's really gross that he's, the blood was splattered on the altar and on the people. But it's a sign, you see, of the agreement that God has with them. Hebrews 9 speaks more of that later on. But the blood is a way of saying, if I don't keep the covenant, let me die like the animal did. And then finally, in verse 9 to 11, 70 people, Moses, Aaron, they go up the mountain and enter into God's space and enjoy his presence with a meal. Finally, they get to enjoy God. It's only a select few at this point, but that's one of the key themes from Genesis to Revelation. God brings people into his presence, and he does that through a covenant. So we have a people here that joyfully accept what God is, the covenant God is making with them, A new way of life spelled out through how they treat others, how they live in community, how they celebrate, where they look to for guidance in life, what other nations see when they look at them. This is the covenant. And just as God's people responded by saying everything the Lord has said. Can you say that today? Everything the Lord has said, I will do. And if you're here last week, you probably, maybe, if you paid attention and picked up, that's the same way I ended last week. And I haven't just run out of things to say at this point in the Bible going through all the laws and, and commands, but it struck me this week that it's the same reply because it should always be the same reply when you learn more about who God is. We should be people that say every day, every week, for our whole life, I'm going to do everything the Lord has said. And next week, I'm going to do everything the Lord has said. And in 10 years' time... I'm still going to do everything the Lord has said. But the key thing is, you may have been wondering, we do a little bit differently to what God's people did at Sinai because we are under a new covenant. We don't have an angel going before us, but the Son of God himself. And we're not under the blood of a bull or a goat, but under the precious blood of Jesus. Two things to end on. Jesus goes before us. He did now what the angel did for God's people then. He's truly with us at every stage of our journey. He was there at our redemption. He suffered in our place in order that we may be marked out by his blood and made his holy people. And having now called us, he walks ahead of us, you see, to guard us, to guide us home, to the place God is leading us to. But it is not a geographical location. In John 14, Jesus says, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Very similar in Matthew 28.20 on the screen. Surely I am always with you. To the very end of the age, Jesus says. Very similar words to Exodus 23.20. You see, in this new covenant, God is at work through Jesus because he is upholding side of the covenant, leading us to our true home, into his very presence. Only 70 got to go up and see God. But you see, knowing where we're going changes the journey. Jesus goes before us and knowing where we're going changes the journey. The mantra you might hear today, many people have, is the, the, the road is life. This is it. You know, materialism plays the song that says here and now is what matters. All we can see and experience, that's what it's about. And then eventually, 70, 80 years, kaput, lights go out, and that's it. The end really isn't important in that sense. It's how you live, because in the end, there is nothing. But I do wonder if that's really a fulfilling, fitting way to live, actually. After all, the road is long, isn't it? It's full of twists and turns. It can be cruel and oppressive, life. It always seems to promise the best is yet to come, yet when you get there, it never really delivers, because The next best thing has to come after that, you see. But you see, what if someone not only knows where the end of the journey is, but promises to accompany you every step of the way, to never leave you or forsake you until you arrive? Well, that is Jesus Christ, who runs down the road to meet you and me to assure us there is room in his Father's house. And in the end, he gives us all the grace to live each day belonging to him. And that's the great promise of God, not written in the blood of a bull, but in the blood of his own son, which is my final point. Jesus' blood is now over us. You see, the law demanded that we die for not upholding our side of the covenant. But God has spared you and me. He didn't ignore the law, the demands. He himself came to uphold it. In Luke twenty-two twenty, Jesus said, this is the new covenant. Well, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. In my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus died instead of us. His blood sprinkles our hearts and conscience clean so we can serve the living and true God. Hebrews 9.14 You see, the Lord's desire is to have his people be holy, to not tolerate sin in the community. And Jesus' blood makes the difference. We don't have to pay for our sin with our blood to be holy or to stop sinning because he's done it. Romans 8 Wonderfully declares, God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin that He might condemn it, so we might live according to the Spirit now. Which means this: when you hear Exodus twenty-one to twenty-four, when you hear the laws and the commands of God, as we're under a new covenant in Jesus' blood, two things should come to our mind, and I borrowed these from John Calvin. First is when you read it, you can't escape the fact at all that God's holy. And his law and his wisdom, it reveals who he's like, that he can't tolerate sin in his people, in the community. And it's shocking that God would say, for a sorceress example, they cannot live. It's a huge demand. But the first thing is, reading the law gives us an insight into God's character that we wouldn't get otherwise. And it's confronting. But it's okay to be confronted sometimes. Secondly, when you read the law like this, because we're still sinful... It's useful because it reminds us to shake off sluggishness and pinch us awake to our imperfections, to quote him. But it can't condemn us for not failing to obey it. It shows us we need God's grace and God's spirit so that we find life in Christ. Martin Luther said the law functions like a hammer, breaking us so we can be rebuilt by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not by, being, not by obeying really hard. Not by working to do it. We read the law, we read the old covenant, we see God's character, we see God's holiness. I read this and I think, gee, God's a holy God. I do want to obey Him. I can't obey Him. I struggle. As I read it, I feel confronted by all of this. I realize I have a sinful heart through and through. I'm reminded about justice. I'm reminded about holiness. I'm reminded about how horrible God sees sin, how that He can't tolerate it, in fact. And I'm forced to say, when Luke reads this, he goes, I I can't do it. I can't obey this. But you see, the demand to be obedient doesn't disappear under Jesus. It's just the reason has changed. I obey God, being fully loved and accepted and forgiven. He has made me into other holy people. He has set me free from a law of sin and death to show the intent to which the law always pointed, love of God and love of neighbor. So the point of this is may we obey with joyful hearts all that God has said, knowing that we're under the blood of Jesus in a new covenant with Him upholding us side of the agreement, making us holy through His death, filled with the Spirit of God. So we can say, everything the Lord has said, I will do by all the grace that Jesus Christ supplies. And I do hope you can say that today. And maybe you're here and you don't know who this God is. Then why not get to know the God who offers forgiveness and mercy for a life lived in rebellion from Him and get to know the God full of grace and mercy? And this week, that we all would say, I'll do everything the Lord has said. To Him be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, it is a tricky part of your word to read today, to understand. But God, we're reminded of our sinfulness and your holiness yet how we fail you so often. Yet in Jesus Christ, you rebuild us into your new creation. You've given us the law so we can see your holiness and character and how Jesus perfectly fully obeys. Thank you for that, Lord, that there is grace and forgiveness and mercy with you because Jesus died our death, the death we all deserve for breaking your law. Yet he did it so we can now obey you, loved and accepted in him. Give us all the grace we need to live as your people this week. In your name we pray. Amen.